Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Good to have you folks here with us and some joining on Zoom as well. We welcome you. I want to ask Pastor Joshua if he would come now and read the scripture and lead us in prayer, please. Um, If you do have your Bibles, please open them to Leviticus chapter 8. We're going to be reading from Leviticus chapter 8. You might ask me, what are we doing reading Leviticus chapter 8? But I promise you that as we get into our sermon, that it will all make sense. Leviticus chapter 8, reading verses 1 to 24. Leviticus chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as the sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urin and the thurman in the breastplate, and he put the turban on his head. Also, sorry, the turban on his head. Also on the turban, on its front, he put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointing the altar with all its utensils and the laver and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Then Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes, and put hats on them, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the bull for the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering, and Moses killed it. And he took the blood and put some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, he burned with fire outside the camp, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the ram as the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. And he sprinkled the blood all around on the altar, and he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head, the pieces, and the fat. Then he washed the entrails of the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he brought the second ram, the ram of consecration, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and Moses killed it. And he took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toe of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood all around the altar. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's go together to pray. Father, 
we thank you. We thank you that you are the high and holy one, the sovereign one of all creation. You spoke and it was done. Lord, you created all the heavens and the earth and it was good. And Lord, you made Adam and Eve. You made them in your image. And Lord, you blessed them. But Lord, sin entered in. Sin destroyed. And Lord, the curse came with it. And that separation, we could not enter into the holy place. We could not stand before a holy God. For we are sinners both by action and by nature. And Lord, we need some to stand in the gap between us. But, O oh Lord, none are worthy. None could stand. But praise be unto you in the fullness of time you sent forth your Son, the great High Priest, our prophet, priest, and king, our Savior, who did what we could never do, perfectly fulfilling all the law and the prophets, perfect holiness from beginning to end going to the cross and laying down his life as an atonement. O oh Lord, our sin upon his shoulders, suffering and dying in our place condemned, so that we might be reconciled to you, that our sins, which are many, might be washed away as far as the east from the west and remembered no more. O oh, that we might be brought in, adopted, made the sheep of your pasture, and, O oh Lord, that we may even now come before your presence with thanksgiving, with song and with prayer. O oh Lord, more than that, we are invited to come in. You call us, come, come into my presence. O oh, you say that our prayers are a sweet-smelling aroma that waft up before your throne. O oh Lord, we come with our praises and our petitions, our struggles, our trials, our joys, our fears, all that is within us. We come Oh, that we might praise your holy name. We ask that you would lead us and guide us. Build us up. Increase our faith. Help us, O oh Lord. We know how often we fall and we fail and we sin against you. O oh Lord, cleanse us. We thank you that we know that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, help us to walk in the newness of life, which is ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Take us and mold us that we may reflect our Savior more and more. Oh, give us hearts that praise your name continually. Lord, I thank you for this place. I thank you for your word that goes forth week by week, Sunday by Sunday, meeting by meeting. I thank you for the meetings that happened in the seniors' residence this afternoon. I pray that the seed that was sown might be reaped into a bountiful harvest and that your people might be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, I pray that you would bring the right man to this place to fill this pulpit, to be a shepherd here for these people. Oh Lord, it has been a long search, but Lord, we wait upon you knowing that you are good and you do all things well. Oh Lord, help strengthen and guide. We thank you for those that are taking leadership positions here, and I pray that you would bless them and guide them and strengthen their hands. Oh Lord, that you might continue to guide, that your word might go forth as a lighthouse in this place. 
We think of those that are sick and hurt among this congregation. Oh, give them strength. May your spirit bring your word to their minds to refresh and to comfort. Oh, may they see the good shepherd who leadeth them, both in the wonderful days of the plenty, but also even through the valley of the shadow of death, that they may fear no evil. Oh, that their heart might be full of praise, even when it seems that all gives way, for they have a foundation, a fortress that cannot be moved, a hope that cannot be destroyed. Oh, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Nothing under the earth, nothing in the earth, nothing above the earth. Oh, we thank you that you hold us fast. We thank you for your presence to cheer and to guide, to lead and to help. Oh, we praise your holy name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Joshua, it's good that you're here with us this evening. Lord. It's always good to be with you guys. And I bring greetings from Fellowship Baptist in Perry Sound. If you do have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. A few months ago, when I was here, I shared a sermon from the beginning of 1 Peter, and several people came up afterwards and said, you should continue going through 1 Peter. And I said, sure, why not? I'll try to hit kind of the high points. Now, the problem with a book like 1 Peter is they're pretty much all high points. Um, But I'll try and have been trying over the last couple months to hit some of the main themes that Peter brings out throughout his letter. So we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 17 this evening. But before we jump into the word once again, let us join our hearts together in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you the privilege that we have to be able to open your word, to be able to read, to understand. O Lord, lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. Illuminate us so that we may see wonderful things from your word. Lord, convict us and yes, even rebuke us. O Lord, help us. We indeed need you as we have sung every hour, every moment. O Lord, we are desperately in need of you. We thank you for your presence and your guidance. O Lord, work and open our hearts this evening. Strengthen and encourage your people. Build them up. O that we might see you high and lifted up. Our Lord and Savior. Crucified, yes, but risen glorious. O Lord, lead us on. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Peter is writing to the churches in Asia Minor that are going through times of difficulty. Up until that point, most of the early Christians had been lumped together with the Jewish people. And as such, they were under the protections that the Roman Empire had given to the Jews for generations. But now the Jewish synagogues were beginning to rise up and kick the Christians out from among them. And outside of the synagogue, the Christians were now open to persecution, were open to being questioned of their allegiance. Were they really Roman citizens? Were they willing to offer the incense to Caesar to go and perform the ceremonies in the temples? Even to be part of a worker's guild in many of those cities involved temple worship. And so to claim Jesus is Lord was to get oneself in trouble. 
And so Peter writes to a group of people that are going through trials and troubles and tribulations. And he writes as one who himself has been through the ringer. And in fact, as one who has denied Christ. He knows the the troubles that they are going through for he himself has been through them. He was in the hot seat. It wasn't the Roman government that was staring down at him with swords. It was a little servant girl outside of the high priest's house that evening Jesus was arrested. You must be a follower of Jesus, he said. Never, never, not me, Peter responded. And we know the rest of the story. He denies Christ three times with curses. And the rooster crows. And so now, being restored by Christ, commissioned to be the apostle of the Jews, writing to the early churches to strengthen them in the faith, he writes these words in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 17. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. And we'll stop there. We won't go to 17. That's an entire another sermon. You have to wait till next month for that one. Um, Verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you, here is Peter talking to those, many of which he knows by person, but even if he doesn't know them one-on-one, he has been praying for them. Remember, the apostles set themselves to what in the book of Acts? Prayer and preaching the word. That's why they brought the original deacons in, so that they may wait on tables. So the apostles might be set aside for prayer and for the word. And Peter has been faithful in lifting them up before the throne of grace. He begs them, As sojourners and pilgrims. Sojourners and pilgrims. Earlier, a little bit further in 1 Peter, he's called them priests. And now he calls them sojourners and pilgrims. He's saying, remember who you are in Jesus. Remember that you have been bought with a price. Remember that you have been made new. That you're not who you were before. Before you were citizens of this world, you were under the power of evil, under the power of Satan, the God of this world. But now you have been redeemed. Now you have been rescued. Now you are sojourners and pilgrims. And as such, he calls them to strive to live lives of holiness. Live lives in keeping with the gospel. Strive to live holy lives, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. He says to them, seek to follow Christ. Seek to strive for the fruit of the Spirit. Seek to put to death that which is wicked in you. To walk in holiness, in newness of life. Even as we have that beautiful picture in baptism. Every time we see a baptism, we remember the gospel is being pictured. Coming into that tank as it were in the old man, in the old life. Going under that water. 
being brought back up in newness of life, death to sin, brought up to walk in newness of life. The newness of life that God has given us by His Spirit when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That free gift of eternal life. Abstain. Flee from it, Peter says. He knows how insidious it can be and how easily it can still stick to us. We indeed have been born again, but yet we still struggle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And how easy it is to fall back into old habits. How easy it is. And it always starts with the simplicity of of minimizing God and what He has done. Always does. Refresh and remind yourselves of who Jesus is. What God has done for us in the gospel. This now is into the, the second chapter of Peter. In the first chapter, he lays just as Paul does in all his epistles. He first lays out the gospel. Remember what Jesus has done. Then in the second half applies that. Because of these things, now we are called to live in such a way. And it is true even in our Christian lives. We must remember what Jesus has done. Remember that while we were yet sinners, God sent His Son into the world to die for enemies, rebels, those deserving sin, those deserving hell and death eternal to rescue and redeem us. Oh, if we could see the fullness of the gospel, oh, if we could see the fullness of what Jesus has done for us, oh, how that would destroy sin, how that would move us to tears. Peter says, get a a, a sight of the gospel. Meditate on it. And the, the idea of meditation here is, is, is Eastern, um, was Western, sorry, meditation. The idea of chewing on something, filling your mind like a cow, chewing its cud over and over. Not the other idea of emptying yourself of all things. That's a different kind of a meditation. This is a filling of the mind, chewing it over, thinking deeply about it. Let us abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So that when people see us, they will know that we are Christians. They will know that there is something different about us. Why do you live in such a way? In our jobs, in our communities, among our family members, people will say, what What is it about you? Why do you live the way that you do? And Peter will spend the next chapter and a half talking about how we live our lives and shine as lights in our society, whether it's before the government, whether it's at our jobs, whether it's in our marriages as husbands and wives, as children, as those that go and struggle through times of persecution. Peter calls us to be pilgrims, be priests, to walk with God. As we read in Leviticus God, when he called the Jewish people out of Egypt, he set some a part of the tribe of Levi to be priests, to stand as it were between the gap. For God in his high holiness could not simply be approached by the people. Too high and holy and awesome was he. So there had to be an intermediary 
And we see the the whole Old Testament priesthood and the levels that are there. The people, the, the Israelites were able to approach close to God, but not all the way in. They couldn't be held the glory that was over the Ark of the Covenant. They could only come into the inner court. After that, the priests were able to go a little bit further to offer incense and to offer sacrifices. And then finally, the high priest was able to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. After making a sin offering for himself, he could go and sprinkle some of that blood over the Ark of the Covenant. That one time a year he was able in. And only then, after dealing with his own sin, and only then quickly, you wouldn't want to linger too long. You wouldn't want to be struck dead in the presence of the Lord. And so there was this separation. But the priests, the priests were called to be holy. They were called to live their lives in service of the Holy One of Israel. We read about the blood of the second goat being placed on the earlobe, on the thumb, and on the feet. The picture there is that the priests would be people who, with the blood on the ears, would listen to God. They would listen to the voice of the Lord and to His commandments and tell them to the people on their thumbs so that they would serve the Lord, both in sacrifices and in teaching, and in the feet covered with the blood to walk with God. If you remember the book of Genesis, that beautiful picture, walking with God. Abraham walked with God. Enoch walked with God and was no more, for the Lord took him. The priests were called to be holy, to be examples to the people. And yet now we, by the glory of the new covenant, by what Jesus has done, all we have become priests, as we read about throughout the New Testament, especially in the book of Hebrews. We have become priests. What that means, partially, is that we are able to enter into the holy throne room of God. We don't need an intermediary anymore. Jesus has done all that thing, all of that by his perfect sacrifice. The veil in the temple has been torn in two. We come clothed in Christ's righteousness. We come in what Christ has done and in his name, not in our own name, not in our own righteousness. There's nothing in us that somehow earns God's favor. No, 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 it is all what Christ has done in our place. Oh, the beauty and the wonder. Not us, but Christ. And how freeing that is. Have you ever really thought about how freeing that is? We fall and we fail. We struggle with sin and temptation. The lie of the devil is that once we fall into some sin, into some struggle... That we can no longer go before God. You're too filthy. You're too filthy. You've committed that sin again and again and again. You've confessed it before the Lord and asked for strength again and again and again. And now you've fallen in the mud. God won't welcome you. God wants nothing to do with you. You've fallen too far. And yet, oh, the lies of the devil... No, no, come into the presence of God. Confess your sins. Find indeed He is faithful and just to cleanse you, to renew you, to put you back on your feet, to strengthen you again and again. There's that beautiful picture that Jesus tells of of the story of, you know, the son that goes into the far country and wastes everything. What does the father? Runs to see him. Not because of us, but because of what Christ has done. Are we welcomed in before the Lord? 
Not us, but Christ. This should not give us, as Paul says in Romans, as some would say, oh, that's just an excuse to sin. May we sin so grace may abound. Heavens no, Paul says. If we understand the gospel, we will strive to live holy lives. Because God has called us to it. And enabled us by His Spirit. We are priests to listen and to serve and to walk with God. And we are pilgrims in this foreign land. This world as it is, is not our home. We are longing to be with Christ. We are longing, we cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, make all things new. We're not saying that the physical is bad. And sometimes we can misread this. We can fall into the trap of the old monastics and even sadly some of the Puritans. That the earth itself is evil. The flesh is bad. That's nothing more than a, than a platonic misunderstanding of the Gospels. No, God created everything good. Sin has corrupted it. And there is coming a day a wonderful day when God will make all things new, as Peter will later on write, when the heavens will melt and be reformed, and the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven. O oh, joyous and glorious day, everlasting, forever and ever, for we will be with Christ. But we long for that day. So here and now we are pilgrims. We strive to live lives of holiness. We strive to point people to Christ in all that we say and do. We strive to worship Him. So keep our eyes upon Christ. Keep our eyes upon His glorious holiness. For far too easily we can get our eyes off of Jesus. And fall into all sorts of traps. One of the greatest pictures of this is actually here in Canada. If you were to go down to City Hall in Toronto and you get off the subway and up looking at City Hall and you look, I think it's over to your left. As you look up, you'll see three great steeples. Despite all the skyscrapers, these steeples still sit high in the sky. Three great old cathedrals, three churches. The Metropolitan United Church. St. James Anglican Cathedral, and St. Michael's Roman Catholic Cathedral. Toronto back in the 1870s to 1890s was known as the City of Churches. It was also known as the world capital of Methodism. There were more Methodists in Toronto than in any city anywhere in the world. And that big building that sits in the middle... Now the Metropolitan United Church was built as the Metropolitan Wesleyan Methodist Church in 1872. And it was built because there were so many Methodists. And they said, we need to do something. We need to make something grand. The Methodists originally were birthed out of a desire to follow Christ. Yes, there were differences in doctrine that we would, could get into. Especially their idea of complete holiness. But yet the desire for holiness was there within them. And a desire to follow after Christ. But yet those Methodist churches said, we need to build something big and grand. I have nothing against big grand buildings. But they desired to build the biggest building so big it would dwarf the two other churches in town. Even though they had lots of other little churches around. Beautiful ones in fact. 
And so they built the great monolith that is the Metropolitan Methodist Church. They made it just so everything was just a little bit bigger than all the other churches in town. Writing several years later, the Wesleyan Methodist historian and pastor Alexander Sutherland said, that was the beginning of the end for Methodists in Canada. We got our eyes off of Jesus. We wanted to become something. We wanted people to applaud us. We wanted to be the church that was wealthy and affluent in the city of Toronto. We lost the gospel. And now you can go to that church and it's more an empty cathedral than anything else. You will not hear the gospel proclaimed within its walls. It is more of a tomb of what was once those that would sing the glorious name of Jesus. Why? Because they got their eyes off of Christ. Even during the time, and I've read some of the literature, a lot of the pastors, why are we doing this? Why are we doing, we don't need this. Let's continue to focus on evangelism, on discipleship, on reaching the lost. But yet their eyes were taken off Christ. The great cathedral that stands there is a monument. Let us keep looking unto Jesus. Interesting fact about that cathedral before we move on. On the evening of the 30th of January, 1928, a man who we, we don't know, he was, a gather, he was a traveling minister, preached a text. The God that answers by fire, let him be God. That night the church caught fire and burnt half to the ground. But oh, let us restrain. Let us walk forward. Oh, let us resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. Oh, let us realize that we are pilgrims in a weary land, but yet we have a good and wonderful shepherd. And know that people are watching us. Verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. People are watching us. If they know we are Christians, they will see how we live our lives. They will watch us when we get into certain circumstances, when certain trials befell us. How are these people responding? When we find out that we have cancer, when a loved one dies, when trouble happens at work, when we have a neighbor that just is so irksome, how do we respond? Because people are watching. They want to know what this Christianity is all about. And oh, that when they see how we react, that our reactions might be glorifying unto God. And when we mess up and we fail, are we willing to admit that we have done so? None of us are perfect. We all fall short in many ways. But are we living lives Indeed, that point to Christ, even in repentance, when we go and we apologize, when we admit that we were wrong, when we reacted poorly, asking for forgiveness. People are watching. How are we responding? 
What do our lives say? Are they shouting forth the gospel? Are we letting our light shine or are we hiding it under a basket? Do people know we are Christians? And people see it in our lives. Are we praying that people will notice? That people will come and ask us about the hope that is within us? Because we live in a day and age that is hopeless. I talk and meet so many people that have no hope. The foundations of our world and society in the West have utterly crumbled. And people are living day by day, hoping to stuff themselves with something that keeps them going. Anything that gives them hope. Anything that gives them drive. Because there's no ultimate meaning. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and what comes after that we do not know. We're told that it's nothing, but yet there's something within each and every one of us that knows that that's not true. Ask anyone. They'll say, oh, I'm buried and over, but do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? No. No, there has to be something more. We know there is. But what can we base our hope? Where can we ground it? Is there anything? Is there any hope? And here we have the hope. Here we have the joyous, wonderful good news that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That there is a creator, there is a sustainer, that he is sovereign, holy, righteous, just, and yes, loving. And yes, Christ came. So that we might be redeemed. We who deserve death and hell and eternal judgment might be born again into newness of life. Oh, that our lives might shine forth this message. Oh, that people might see and know that they might observe our good works and that they might glorify God. And I pray it's in the here and in the now. The verses in the day of visitation. What visitation is that? The day, hopefully, when they come face to face with the Word of God in the here and in the now, not in to come after death. Pray that it is in the here and the now. Are we praying for those around us? Are we praying for our neighbors, our friends, our family? Are we praying together, united? If you have people upon your heart, share them with others. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer. There's something powerful when the church body prays together, lifting up united hearts about that individual or that situation. If you have a small group, bring forth names of someone that the Lord has laid upon your heart and encourage each other to witness and to pray for that individual. That God may be glorified. Peter leaves those words with these struggling churches, knowing that that's their heart, knowing that they want to see people saved. They have the gift, the wonder of eternal life. Let us go forth and share it. Let us strive to live lives that reflect Christ in keeping with the gospel. Let us put to death, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let us take up the whole armor of God. Let us bear 
the wonderful fruits of a Christian life. Oh, may we follow after Christ. For He is the Alpha and the beginning. Sorry, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Let us walk before Him and ask that He would guide and lead us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you lead your dear children along, that you work in us by your Holy Spirit to mold us, to transform us day by day. Lord, you are at work within us. Oh, help us to shine forth the gospel. Lord, we are blessed beyond measure to have heard the words of eternal life. And Lord, you have commissioned us. You have called us to be your ambassadors, ambassadors to the King. Oh Lord, may we live lives in keeping with that ambassadorship that you have given us. May we shine forth as lights in this broken and darkened world, pointing towards a Savior, pointing to the one who came down into the darkness becoming incarnate so that you might die in our place condemned. Lord, what wonder and what beauty, what mercy beyond degree, what love. Oh Lord, help us. Lord, we pray for our neighbors, our family, and our friends that do not know you. O Lord, may they ask us of the hope that is within us. And Lord, may we give them an answer as we point to Jesus. O keep us fixed upon Christ. Let us not look down and be so focused upon other things that we miss the wonderful gift that you have given. O Lord, help us. Lead us. May we be fruitful in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. May we walk in the Spirit. Oh, help us. We need Thee every hour. For we are pilgrims in a foreign land. And when trouble and trials assail us, oh, may we stand firm, pointing unto Jesus. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.